he would also ask me for pictures of women's feet. Naked, na not naked women, but bare women feet and women in bikinis. Um, He's like, I don't need the bikini part, just the feet. Yeah, he really wanted feet. He also asked me at the time I was living in North Carolina, and so he asked me if I went to the beach frequently. And uh, I don't remember what I said, but he said that if I go to the beach, will I take pictures of girls in bikinis, the younger the better. Ew. Yeah. Before we started recording, you were saying that he was in solitary, and he's like, I listen to my radio, I read books, and I take naps. Yeah. I always wonder how much of how much of him being in solitary confinement contributed to his letters sounding so disjointed. Because oh, that's interesting. He moves from one idea to the next. Um, the, just kind of a portion here. He said, "If you were on a deserted island, um, who would you like to be with? I'd like to be with a girl who could build a boat." <laughs> ha! At what age did you move out on your own? I was 16 and couldn't find a decent job. I ended up going to California in the early 80s, and as you can see, it didn't turn out so good. What would understatement? You, yeah, right. What would you say is your biggest priority right now? Do you have a favorite sport? Any good radio stations in your area? I only pick up a few. The reception here isn't that good. Seen any good movies? This. It reminds me of like when like when eight year olds first start learning to write, mm -hmm. and they're like, "I wrote a story," and it's like, it is just, just yeah, yeah. So, and that's how these all are because yeah. they are all just kind of like sentences strung together. Um, sometimes you can pick some really strange things out, and sometimes he does say some funny stuff, but. I mean, um, yeah, the I would like to be on an island with a girl who could build a boat yes. is a good answer. I mean, or that, or that bungee jumping was too risky. Yeah, I always <laughs> wanted to bungee jump, but I thought it was too risky. Mm -hmm. What? <laughs> Nothing about you writing on the walls with the blood. That was all right. Like, cool. Okay. Oh. <laughs> yeah, he never talked about anything really that happened. Um, he talked a lot about movies he was watching in prison. Yeah, he said, do you have a printer? If so, send pictures of girls showing legs and feet and in bikini. That's so unpleasant. Yeah. You said earlier that, like, you stopped writing him when he started getting, like, really, like, creepy. But mm -hmm. what made you want to start writing him? I just wanted to see what he would say. First of all, I was curious if he'd write back. Yeah. And then the other thing was, is I was curious as to what it was that he would talk about. Yeah. Um, I know that frequently, uh, if you write serial killers they don't they don't talk about their crimes mm -hmm. um yeah i mean i was it was sheer curiosity this was actually back in the days of myspace i oh. met a guy named he went by the moniker eric gein mm -hmm. and he's actually fairly well known in the murderabilia um oh, okay yeah community and he has gotten into legal battles over it, and he used to write Christina Pike. And when I when I became friends with him on MySpace, and I saw that he had all of these you know letters and stuff, I asked him. I said, you know, if I were who who would you recommend writing? And if I were to write them, who do you think would be the most likely to write back? Mm -hmm. And so he said, well, you could try writing Charles Manson, but he doesn't usually write back. Oh yeah, he he just recently died. Yeah. And so I did actually write him, but I heard nothing back, so that's whatever. Um, he said, but Richard Ramirez does. And so I said, well, can I have his address? And so he passed his address along, and mm -hmm. he wrote back yeah. frequently. And then, yeah, I mean, he remembered my birthday one year and sent me a birthday card. 
So what, I guess, like, when you got your first letter back, what was that like? Like, I was shocked because he actually wrote back. Yeah. Um, and then when I read it, the letter itself was actually pretty benign. I was wondering, I was like, well, hmm, I wonder if this is going to get any more interesting. And so that's why I kept writing is because I wanted to see would it be like this letter or would it get more you know, more interesting as time went on. And I think to a certain degree that it did get more interesting as time went on. I don't know. I don't, I don't feel like he had a lot to talk about. Yeah. And I think that was one of the problems is, I mean, he was living in, you know, was like a six by nine cell 23 hours a day. Yeah. And so it, he obviously got to see movies. Well, and read books. And read books. Yeah. yeah. Cause he would frequently suggest movies and say how much he liked, um, Jason from Friday the 13th. Oh. That was one of his horror movie characters. <clears throat> oh, no. He would ask me to send lyrics to Judas Priest songs. It, this reads very much like he's still in high school. He asked me questions about things, like what kinds of jobs I had, but a lot of the things that he talked about were very superficial. Yeah. Because I did try to ask him about things like religion or mm -hmm. politics, and he, he told me, I think twice that he didn't talk about, um, twice he didn't talk about politics. He just wasn't interested. And then once he said religion, I hope you understand. I mean, Richard Ramirez is one of those people that was probably a little, a little broken in the brain before I went in there. <laughs> well, and his was a very interesting case. Actually, if you look at, if you look at the way that it, the way that he was brought up and what ended up seeming to set him on the wrong path. Um, many people who've been interviewed about him have said that he was a very intelligent guy. He yeah. was a very nice person. He was actually quite shy. Um, and he was a good student. And then his cousin came into the picture, and his cousin had gone to Vietnam. And so he showed his cousin, or his cousin had showed him all these pictures of, like, women that he had raped, and he... Um, killed his his cousin killed his wife in front of richard oh my god um i think he shot her in the head or something but he was very slowly becoming um desensitized to that kind of violence and so rape was normalized for him and violence was normalized and murder was normalized um and about that point he picked up meth which is why he had, like, rotten teeth, because one of the yeah. things that anybody who came across him said was that his breath was just, yeah. like, wow. And, um, and so he was, he was really high during the span of his crimes. And so I, don't, I always wonder how much of his actions had to do with his circumstances with his cousin and then his involvement with drugs. Yeah. Because I honestly don't think, I think that if the cousin hadn't come into the picture that he may have actually been a normal functioning human in society. Yeah. But that's that whole nurture versus nature conversation. And I don't think that he was one of those people where like Ted Bundy or Jeffrey Dahmer, who I think have the, like the frontal lobe issues. Right. And I don't think that Richard was one of those people. Well, I mean, and that is an interesting thing too. Like it's like an imperfect storm because there are a lot of people who have childhood trauma or abuse and don't do this. Or there are people who like rot their faces off with meth and don't do this. But then mm -hmm. it's like 
all of these other little things lining up. That's why I always think it's interesting when they do brain scans mm-hmm. on, on them. There was a boy who hid his neighbors. as a little girl who's his neighbor. He killed her and hid her underneath his waterbed for oh, several weeks. Oh, I heard about that. And they I actually, know that one. they did a brain scan on him and they found frontal lobe abnormalities. Yeah. And so I think that that, you know, I don't, I don't know what they did with Richard's body afterwards, if they just, you know, cremated him or whatever, but um, I don't think that they did any scans. But I do know that there is a push, in fact, I'm reading some articles from my class about trying to get more information as to why why the people who are such the, the extreme examples, right. they're obviously the minority. Mm-hmm. Um, but why it is that they do the things that they do. Um, My co-host wanted me to ask you if, after you wrote him, did it change how you thought about him or his crimes? I mean, I guess I saw him as a person mm-hmm. more. Um, well, yeah, because you're, you're hearing, like, I'd be on a desert island with a girl who can build a boat. And so, I mean, and, you know, I can't lie. I can't do, When he died, I was a little bit sad, even though everybody right. was, you know, sitting there like good riddance and I'm like well yeah but he was still a person and and whatnot that's how I feel like if someone that I had gone to school with turned out to be like a serial killer or something and they died I'd be sad like yeah what they did was bad but also like one time we like ate lunch together or something like yeah there's still that feeling of human connection and that's and and that was the thing is he wasn't he when I because I've looked at his crimes and seen what he did awful they're terrible I mean he, the things that he did were atrocious. Um, but even then, there was one occasion where he went into a house with a woman who had a child, and he'd taken the child, put the child in the closet, mm-hmm. and said, I don't listen. Um, because it was like he was trying to protect the child. Yeah. And so, you know, even when he was committing his crimes, there was still some kind of shred of humanity mm-hmm. in him somewhere, like way, way deep down way, inside. <laughs> very shreddy, very small. Tiny, it's like, you know, like a hangnail piece of skin amount <laughs> of humanity in him. But he still, he still did that. And then when he was writing letters, you know, clearly he has feelings. Um, I I'm, I felt leery the whole time, mm-hmm. and I felt kind of his letters t- just routinely made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, I don't know. I did have a hard time viewing him, and in fact, I have a hard time viewing many serial killers as just purely monsters. Yeah. Um, well, one of the things that we talk about a lot is like um, because we talk about like true crime, but we also like talk about, like, where did concentration camps come from? And mm-hmm. Hitler was like, I was inspired by America. Uh-huh. Um, but one of the things we talk about a lot is, like, there are bad things that happen, and, you know, it's scary, but this idea of, like, feeling that fear and not looking away and not trying to pretend that it isn't happening and, like, trying to look at it and say, I'm not going to let this turn me into a bad person, but like looking at the hard thing. And I think one of the hard things about this story is like, we want to say that he was just this monster, lock him up, throw him away. Mm-hmm. And it makes us uncomfortable that we're interacting with someone like that and seeing humanity in someone uh-huh. who didn't respect other people's humanity. Yeah. And that's just it is I think that that's part of actually being a better person is not, giving into that throw throw that because I think you lose some of your humanity if you just discard people 
Yeah. Um, Because that's exactly what they did. Yeah. They just discarded people. And so if we turn around and we discard people, how are we any different? Yeah. Um, That's kind of how I feel about the death penalty is, okay, you killed someone, and so I'm going to kill you for killing someone. Sounds really kind of hypocritical to me. You... Well, and the other thing, too, that I think about is, like, if Richard Ramirez, like, killed my sister, Mm -hmm. I would be like, burn him alive, I don't give a shit, fuck, fuck, fuck this guy. But, so, like, to me, the idea that we put this pressure on victims to do that work Mm -hmm. is silly. Or not silly, but is wrong. Like, if you have been hurt by this type of person, you're allowed to not forgive them. But, like, for me, as someone who's removed from that immediate fallout... Yeah, then maybe I have to do the harder work of trying to see bigger humanity. Well, and then, and even at the same time, though, is there are a lot of people who are victims who, if you talk to them, they've forgiven. And, and one of the things that people frequently mention about forgiveness is forgiveness isn't for the person who committed the crime. Right. Forgiveness is something that you do for yourself because you're the one who's carrying around that burden then. And you're giving that person headspace. Mm-hmm. And so if you can forgive and start to let go... And that frees you up. You don't have to tell them that you forgave them. You can just be like quietly over here. Yeah, fine. You're forgiven. Mm -hmm. And that does free you up from from some of those pressures. But I don't think that anybody obviously has the right to tell somebody you need to forgive this person or... Well, I'm I'm an Irish person um, and we're just angry drunks. And so, like, there's something, like, in my family, like, being angry feels good. Like, we love to be angry at each other. And so there is also this moment of, like, be angry if you want. And then when it's not working for you anymore, then figure out something. But I'm always like, yeah, you're allowed to be angry or whatever you want. And and that is one of the hardest things that I think that we are having to come to terms with Mm -hmm. in, in this country in particular is the fact that even though somebody may have committed this crime, putting them in a cage isn't going to fix it. And it's not going to fix future crimes. No, it's yeah. not. It does not. We've shown time and time again that the death penalty is not a deterrent. Um, we're also executing innocent people. A lot. Um, and so I think, again, is there is an expectation that comes with the death penalty um, that I don't think would be fulfilled. Personally, if somebody did something to my daughter... I would not feel gratified unless I personally got to kill right. that person. Like, then I might feel a sense of gratification. Yeah. But just watching them, you know, watching them die isn't going to make me feel any better because she's not, you know, coming back. Yeah. And well, so, I've also, I think you and I have talked about this idea of restorative justice where it's the process of criminals trying to, like, come to terms with what they did. And, and, mm-hmm. and one of the things that I think about, yeah, if somebody, like, you know, killed one of my family members, killing them or putting them in prison is not going to help them realize the magnitude of what they did, which is what I want. I want you to know what you did. I have another question for you about Richard Ramirez. That's, it's a tricky one, but I think kind of in line with what we were talking about is, so I really like true crime stuff and you did too. We've talked about this before, but one of the things that gets brought up a lot, especially, like, the Ted Bundy tapes just came out, so the true crime community is talking about it a lot, and then, like, people that normally, like, mainstream stuff that never touches true crime is talking about a lot, and there's this idea of, like, true crime is interesting because of what it tells us about people. Victims, prosecutors, crimes is the whole thing, but then there's also this claim of, like, we're glorifying killers and like the creepy like charles manson and ted bundy had like 
fans and oh, yeah. oh. got married in prison yes. and, and that that is a line that a lot of true crime people will be like I would never write to someone in prison or I would never interact with them like that's glorifying them what do you think about that I don't know if that's glorifying them because one of the things is, is we have to interact with these people if we want to learn things about them yeah so if they're alive and we are able to ask them questions we can get a lot of information even if they aren't answering our questions yeah and so um there are laws in place that for example um like if if john wayne gacy had sent out paintings there were laws put in place that he could not profit from them so there are laws in place that a criminal cannot profit from their violent crimes yeah and so i think that is one of the things that people get upset about especially this is what makes murderabilia so Uh um so controversial is that people are they they don't want other people to profit from the violent death of another mm-hmm. which is completely understandable yeah i've seen that there are a lot of laws are like if you are john mcgacy sending out paintings or you write a book yeah and you're making profits it goes into like a victim preparation fund right. or something yeah and so i don't think i think that yes we do have to be careful about how we portray these people and they cannot be portrayed as some kind of hero but at the same time i cannot recall any true crime stories, documentaries, movies, any of it that has ever depicted these people as anything more than what they were at that time. Mm -hmm. Like, these are these horrible things that this person did. We need to look at these horrible things, and they're really unpleasant to look at. And I think that it does make people uncomfortable. And so I think even looking at it makes people feel like this is just wrong. We shouldn't, yeah. even, we shouldn't even be talking about this because this is wrong. It's, no, because if we don't talk about it, then, you know, how do we identify the next person who might be headed down this path? Yeah. Because we've learned a lot from... Well, and also, like, if you don't look at it, it doesn't go away. No, no. And you, I know that Ted Bundy actually worked in um, profiling cases. Mm-hmm. And so he actually did a lot to help... Um, criminal profilers create a system for looking at, you know, red flags. So like animal torture and, you know, Uh things like that. And so if we aren't talking to these people and we aren't finding out things about their past, then we are making a huge mistake. We're not glorifying it. We are missing out on an opportunity for education because, you know, you, you can't just know somebody based off of the things that they, that they did in the most recent time unless you talk to them so we wouldn't have known many things about um jeffrey dahmer had they not had an opportunity to talk to him about you know his past yeah and that seems to be a very big um a really big benefit is talking to them about how did you get here Mm -hmm. and so if we just say oh you're done you're in jail not going to talk to you not going to look at you not going to not going to study your case anymore and I think that that's why the cases, I think that's why cases that are from the 70s and the 60s keep being brought up is because they have a lot of things that are still relevant and yeah. that we need to continue to look at and say, oh, oh, I see this pattern happening over here. Well, that looks an awful lot like this case, so maybe we should pay attention and, you know, see what's going on with this person. Oh, yeah. they were, you know, torturing the neighbor kids or they killed all of their pets or, you know, things like that. So, um, I think that there is obviously a section of the population who does glorify 
and almost like deify some of these people. It's like, yeah, it's weird. It is weird. And I had never understood, I never understood like being a fan. I was not a fan of Richard's by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I was interested in him as, as a case study. Um, and, but he always, he, he did definitely keep like a good arm's length away. Yeah. And so I don't feel like I knew him, um, or anything like that, but he was still an interesting figure. And so I don't, you know, I, I don't know. I never, I never have like sexualized any of these people. Yeah. And I, I know that recently that uh, Netflix has criticized uh, criticized people for saying that Ted Bundy is hot. They're like, could you please stop calling Ted Bundy hot? There are literally thousands of other hot actors. And, and a lot of the people who are familiar with the case are coming back and they're saying, here's the thing. That was actually one of the things that he used in order to perpetrate his crimes. And yeah. so him being attractive needs to be part of the story. Yeah, well, and it's interesting. I've seen that a lot and that pushback. Um, and I saw something. I didn't read it. I just sort of skimmed it like I do way too often when I <laughs> then start talking like I'm an expert. But um, the someone's response was like, he was white. So, like, he is kind of attractive. But mostly it was like, well, he's white. He appears, he's like, I'm a law student. So people gave him the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And so... It is revealing a lot of these, like, biases that people hold. And I read Anne Rule's book, and they're, it's really interesting, because even when he, like, would have, like, the broken arm, yeah. be like, can you help me with the car? Yeah. He would approach, like, dozens of women, and a lot of them would be like, no. And one, she talks about one person who was like, I was about to say yes, but he had, like, really intense, crazy eyes. Mm-hmm. And so there's this moment of, like, he just kept doing it. He yeah. was... Uh, predator behavior to find the one person who was willing to be like to trust him to trust him or or like and you know the jail officials who didn't watch him or all this stuff it's like oh you're just a good old guy you know and so i think this idea of like he was kind of handsome he was kind Mm -hmm. of smart he was able to mimic like the what we generally read as a good person yeah Human emotions. Uh, yeah, uh-huh. and I, I think that it does, the idea of, like, he was white, he yeah. was, appeared to be middle class, he could he yeah. could do these things. It it That's that thing of, like, stop calling Ted Bundy attractive is, like, recognize the biases that let him play that. Yeah. Because he wasn't super smart, but he was smart enough to appear smart, and so we're like, okay, whatever. Yeah, he, he had his own set of intelligence. Yeah. So it was his own unique kind, I would say. But, yeah, if you look at people, I mean... Jeffrey Dahmer was a weird-looking, gangly kid. Yeah. And Richard Ramirez was not very attractive with the mouth thing happening. I I think it's from the dollop. Someone's like, he was attractive, but then when his teeth just rotted, that ruined it. And they're like, he was like, this is how you know this is a crazy person, because he was like an attractive person who let their teeth rot in their head. Like, something's not right. I'm thinking of, and John Wayne Gacy was not a good-looking man. Um, But John Wayne Gacy was one that could fake being the, like, like avuncular, like, I'm just your KFC guy, Uh you know? And that idea of, like... Regular fella. Yeah. But again, there, I the Jeffrey Dahmer story that I think always shows those biases is when he had like 
a victim escape and uh-huh. the cops the guy was running down the street and these like two black women were like okay this isn't okay we're gonna call the cops and the cops showed up uh-huh. and he talked to the, the, the victim it, yeah. was i think filipino i could be remembering this wrong and then the two black women were like this is not okay and uh-huh. jeffrey Dahmer came out and was like it's okay and the cop was like yeah i'm gonna listen to the white dude shut up you guys uh-huh. and let him go back and so that's what i think cases like ted bunny show us is like yeah. who are we willing to trust and believe and value because of the fact that this is oh, look at how long dennis Rader got away with it all because mm-hmm. he was an active member of his community he was a good upstanding you know citizen yeah. and active in the church and and it's it's very much what i think dexter plays on yeah and the argument that they make is you know he often talked about pretending to be human yeah. and learning emotions and so i think that uh we i think that we see a lot of I'm trying to think of other white guys who've killed people it shouldn't be this hard <laughs> i know I've got a whole book of them over there. Uh, um, oh, Ed Gein. Ed Gein, yeah. But he only killed, like, a couple people. Well, the Golden State Killer yeah. that they just caught. The Smiley Face Killer. He was a white guy. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, oh, the Green River Killer. <sighs> Gary Ridgway, yeah. yeah. He was, you know, your typical white guy. And I've noticed that they definitely preyed, a lot of them prey on... Vulnerable populations. Mm-hmm, people yeah. who aren't going to be missed, so to speak. Yeah. Um... My art editor is um, not a true crime or creepy person. It's my friend Clint, and he was editing. I don't remember what episode, but then one episode, and he, like, texts me, and he's like, man, it's pretty dangerous to be a sex worker. (laughs) I was like, welcome to the true crime community, friend. Like, I was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, and so, at least on my end, I think true crime gives you ideally compassion for people like sex workers that we normally are like, ugh. Mm-hmm. But this idea of like, well, we should make it safe for people and not well, and further marginalize them, yeah. these groups because then also by marginalizing marginalized groups, we're also like elevating white men. Well, and yeah, if we legitimize the practice of prostitution, then it's a job. That's all that it is. Yeah. I mean, we've legitimized stripping. I know well, there's still a stigma attached to it, but it is more legitimate than prostitution. You're not going to get arrested for stripping. I mean, yeah. too young. But well, I think too. Um, I think the funny thing is, like, for people who work office jobs nine to five, you may not be working, but your butt has to be in that chair. So, like, right. how is that not using your body to make money? <laughs> well, and that's, and that's how, I always wondered about porn. Yeah, yeah, because porn. Well, because like, porn makes money for industries. That's why it's okay, Chelsea. I just Jeez, think it's so strange. It's like they're still <laughs> having sex for money just on the screen, and that's even like more explicit than going to a consenting adult's house and having sex in you know the privacy of a hotel room or whatever. Right. So yeah, I've I've, I've often wondered how we how we can moralize some kinds of sex and not other kinds like this this kind over here this one done in private that's bad this one done on screen is okay is okay yeah and, and we're gonna put it all over the internet and you can get it anywhere you look and but so. I, and i think again this goes back to like a sort of a theme is like we don't want to think about like we all just want to watch porn and enjoy it we don't want to think about who we're exploiting yeah. or th- or who is you know being left out of the goodness of this and like that idea of like thinking about well why is sex work what it is 
makes us uncomfortable, so we don't look at it, we don't deal with it. Well, I mean, the United States is a kind of puritanical nation here, so, what? you know, sex makes us feel icky and dirty, and <laughs> we can't even teach our kids about sex without, like, cringing. It's like basic biological functions. Yeah. And we're... I can't tell you how many parents cannot teach their children the proper names for genitalia. That's insane so, to me. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm like, it's not a wee wee. It's not a wee wee, and it's it's not a bajingo. It's bajingo. It's, <laughs> it's, it's it's a penis and a vagina. Those are what they are called. All things hair is written, recorded, and produced by two amateurs, Jennifer and Emily. Our sound editor for this episode was our guest and friend of the pod, Anthony, who also scared us with the Martin family vacation story last week. Our intro music is by Cosimo Fogg. Come chat with us on Twitter at All Things Terror or Instagram at All Things Terror Podcast. There, you can also see some really cool artwork Anthony made of some of our more uh, salty quotes and the link to his new podcast, Great and Terrible. We're hard at work on season two, terrorists. So give us a rate, a review, and definitely a subscribe if you liked what you heard. We'll be back to regular episodes soon. Goodbye forever.